morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys ready to study God's Word? That's awesome. I love the energy. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to have most of the verses will be on the screen. Uh, if you by any chance did not get, uh, did not bring your Bibles, I want to encourage you to download the Bible app. It's a great way to follow uh, along. If you ever want to come back and look at the same verses that we study, it is a fantastic way to dig in, to study God's Word. We are in, I think it's week four in this series that's called Marked. Marked. And what we're saying is that if you're a Jesus follower, your life has been changed. You've been radically changed. You're different. You've been marked. It's kind of like if you have a tattoo, you've been eternally marked by his grace, by his love, by his forgiveness. And so we're in Mark chapter 8, verse 28, uh, 27, 27. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. This is what the Bible says. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee. So I want you to put yourself in this place, okay? I want you to picture that you're on a little hike, that you're on a little journey with Jesus, okay? Uh, so Jesus and his disciples, how many is that? How many disciples did, did Jesus have? Say it again. Nice and loud, 12. Okay, so, so it's a small crowd. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, watch this question, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, notice the question, who do people say I am? Now, if you don't know anything about Christ, you may think that this question has to do a little bit with, maybe he's dealing with a little bit of insecurities, right? Because it's a question that people will ask like, man, I wonder, I wonder what they say about me. I wonder what they're saying. I wonder what they, they think about me, right? Like if you've ever met somebody who's an, an insecure person, that thought is constantly you know, flooding their minds. They're always thinking, of, like, I wonder if I do this, what, what will they say? What will they think? This has nothing to do with Jesus being insecure. And I'll, share, I'll show you why here in a minute. Verse 28. Verse 28. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that you're one of the prophets. And I don't know how, I don't know how this was for them. I don't know if they were afraid of like, oh man, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to answer the wrong thing. But they're like, they're like, okay, some people say that you're this, some people say this, or whatever. I mean, are you looking for a particular answer or not? And, uh, and so he says, verse 29, he says, Then he asked them, and I love how God always turns things around on us. Watch what he says. He flips it, and he says, But who do you what? Do you say... I am. And so this is key for you to understand in the message of, of the gospel. Your relationship with God is between you and him. It's not between you and your priest. It's not between you and your pastor. It's not between you and your spouse. It's not between you and your parents. Okay? I mean, nobody can force that on you. And so Jesus asked a question that I believe God is asking you today. And that is, who do you say? I, I know what your spouse says. I know what your parents did. I know what they believe. I know, I know, what, so, I know what the preacher said. But what, who do you say? It's a very personal question. Who do you say? 
that I am. And the Bible says that Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And in different translations says, you are the son of the living God. Okay, like this is, this is a, I mean, there's no greater thing that anybody could have ever said of Jesus. You are the Messiah. And remember, this has been building up for years. The Jewish people have been looking forward to, to the kingdom coming, to the Messiah coming, to rescuing them from, from the oppression of the, Rome, the Romans from Rome. And so when Peter says, you are it, you're the king, you're the, the Messiah, this was a radical thing. And then... Watch what happens next. When I read this, it blew me away. But to be honest with you, it was not the first time that I had read it. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to find out that this statement in verse 30 shows up time and time again. But Jesus, verse 30, warned them. Who's it them? The disciples, right? But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him what in the world i mean why is this happening why is jesus i mean I, like you you know you uh you come to church and the preacher's always twisting your arm he's always telling you you those invite cards you know don't keep them in your cars pass them out hand them out because god you know it's always about telling the world right why would jesus tell his disciples i mean like this is the the total is totally counterintuitive says but jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him do you know the answer to that why in the world would jesus not want them to tell anything to the crowd there was a crowd that was following jesus by the way he had fed them he had taught them he had healed many of them and so there's a huge i mean this is a time when jesus is becoming more and more popular and so if you don't know the answer to that if you don't know why it is that jesus says hey don't share don't say a thing you were, you were going to find out today now full disclosure today the message um, you know there are times when I preach and my whole goal is to inspire you there are times when I preach and my, the whole week in preparing and praying and getting ready like my heart is I'm an encourager so I want to encourage you I want to I want to be your biggest cheerleader I want to be like your spirit your, your, your biggest spiritual fan I mean I want to applaud you when, when I see you guys here or if you're following online and I hear your stories you know I heard a story yesterday of someone that preached for me about a year ago his name is Shane uh, not to embarrass him or anything and this person came to our church and they this is what they said i heard this yesterday this person said this person said if the guest pastor is as good as this person then i'm for sure coming back to this church because i want i want a little bit more of that and so I love that about our church, that it's not just what the pastor has to say, it's what we together as a team can do for this community. Now today, the message is not like, yet, like last week's. If you missed last week, man, go back and listen to it. Because last week's the whole purpose of it was to inspire you, to encourage you, to, to, you know, like to get you, to give you like fuel for the walk, right? Today, full disclosure, it's a little bit more in your face, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and if you're just coming in for the first time, just come back next week. I'm usually a lot more, I show a little bit more grace. But today, it's going to be in your face. 
And I'm going to communicate a message that is the heart of Christianity. I'm going to communicate a message to you that like when we use that word, for some of us, it's almost like we don't want to be related to other Christians because of the way many Christians have behaved. And so I'm not talking about the Christianity of East Texas. I'm not talking about the Christianity of our world today. I'm talking about a movement that got started that was totally different. And I want you to, I want you to get a glimpse of this because I believe that we will change the world. We'll change our world. God will change our world. Or we'll change the world of those around us if we truly submit to what this movement was about. If we t- totally surrender So what this movement was about, I promise you, you will see something that is beyond what you're capable of seeing. So look at the next verse. So full disclosure, right? Are you still in? You still still happy you came today? Thumbs up. Thank you, Justin. I got one clap. Yes! (laughs) I got three now. Fantastic. All right. no, No second chances for you today. 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, who is that? Who's the Son of Man? That's Jesus. That's his, he would use his title for himself, okay? Jesus began to tell them, he's telling the disciples, just the few, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders. Don't miss it. Be rejected by the elders. These are the elders of the church. Be rejected by the leading priest. Be rejected by the teachers of religious law. Have you ever been rejected? Like, I was reading this, it's like, how come? These are the people that are, like, you're, 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 these are your spiritual leaders. These are the people, like, your teachers, your preachers, your Sunday school teachers. These are the ones that should inspire you. These are the ones that should, you know, propel you forward. And why does the Bible say that it was the elders of the church? I mean, why does the Bible say it was the leading priest and the teachers of religious law that those were the ones that were against him? I mean, like, this is totally screwed up. This is totally messed up. This is, this is the wrong way of doing things. Like, this should not be, right? Like, you come into a place like this and, and you expect me to love on you. And that's, that's the right expectations. This should be a safe place. This should be a place where we understand one another. We may not agree on everything. We may not believe everything. But this should be a place where the love of Christ just overwhelms us. And it just, it just allows us to just, you know, be united under that, the banner of, of what Christ has done for us. But not so in this place. He's rejected. He says, the son of man, what's the next word? Must suffer many terrible things I want you to know if you've ever been hurt by someone deeply I'm not talking about like somebody just said something mean about you and then you you got upset no 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 I'm talking about like if you've ever if you've been through betrayal if you've been through divorce if you've if you man there was this one person that loved you you loved them and then they they said something they did something and it hurt and it's been years and it's still if that is you if you've ever been at a place in your life where you've asked the question like why Lord, why this pain? I just cannot, it's just overwhelming. I want you to know that today you're gonna, this, there are some things in the message today that you're gonna be able to understand. There are some things that you're gonna listen to and you're gonna, it's gonna put things in the right perspective. 
And as we read God's love letter, which I believe is what the Bible is, you're going to understand a little bit more why that person may have done what they've done to you. So I'm reading this whole passage. And, and I'm writing some things down. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you two observations from the whole passage. We're not done reading it yet. We're going to read a few more verses. And then I want to give you a call to action, okay? So as I'm reading the passage and I'm praying, like, God, what do you want me to say? Here's the first thing that I noticed, okay? And I wrote it down. It's on the screen, um, or it'll be on the screen here in a minute. But here's what I wrote down that I'm, I'm because I'm looking at these people. They're the religious people. They're the spiritual leaders. And I'm like, okay, this is wrong. This is all screwed up. This should not be like this, right? <clears throat> So I wrote this down because I really believe it's true. I wrote this down. On our own, without God, okay? So this is before you become a Jesus follower. Every human being, I believe, and it's important that you know that religion is different than you being a believer or being a Jesus follower. Just because you come to church does not mean, and you can see the proof in those religious leaders, right? Just because you check off the list does not mean that you have it all together, okay? It does, does not mean that, you, that you're a strong Jesus follower. So I wrote down, every human being leaves a trail of empirical evidence about the condition of the human heart. So this is a long, kind of a long point. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Um, a few months ago, they put down fiber optics in, in, our in our subdivision, all right? So we didn't have internet, like fast internet, and I hated it. And so I think it was in March or somewhat, like they came in and they said, you're gonna have the fastest internet, we're gonna put down fiber optics. And I was super excited until they, there's a whole crew that comes in and they have this bobcat kind of looking machine that would dig in a, a trench, and I don't really know what it's called, but basically they would dig in this long pipe. They'd go from house to house, they'd put this long, pipe under each one of our yards so you could not see it you would only see a little hole at each end and they would dig this thing in and then they would put the fiber optics under it now about halfway through the the process they the 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 machine the bobcat broke down or something like one of the hoses broke or something and for about three days it was leaking oil like all over the pavement. And you could pretty much follow the little thing like wherever it went because there was a little trail of oil. I mean, it was a big mess. And I'm like, you know, Lee and I walk from time, like every, every so often at night. And we're like, what is this mess? And you could tell exactly where they were gonna be the next day because of where the trail of, little, of oil was you know, at. And I'm like, how could they do this? And I'm complaining. And I thought of that, and I thought, that is exactly how we as human beings are. Without God, apart from God, all of us, I don't care how religious you are, all of us, we leave a trail, the Bible calls sin. And at times, would you, when you blame someone for hurting you, what's happening is you get upset at that other person, and you get angry, and you lose your patience. But what's really happening is, that the problem at hand is not them. The problem is that God is nowhere in the picture. And so when God is nowhere in the picture, you see those, you see the effects of sin. Now, I want to say this. this is not kind of part of the message, but I think it's important because of what we've been through this summer and as a country, as a nation, with the riots and all the stuff that's being done politically and all of that. Um, in your world, you will face evil. You need to know that. And I know that evil is a kind of a strong word, but I, I want you to know that there will be people that will look at you and they will smile and they will, 
they will, um, you would think that they're your friends, but as soon as you turn around, there's envy and there's betrayal and there's backstabbing. And, I, and the, Jesus, if you go back to Mark chapter seven, he calls it evil, okay? Now, I know for us, because we're people of grace, like it's hard for us to use that word. Like we wouldn't, use, we wouldn't that's like really a little bit much, Jesus. Like, and you'll see in a minute the way he talks to Peter, it's like, whoa, that's, that's a little bit much. But in your world, do not be naive. You will face, oh, but I work at a Christian uh, corporation and we put the fish on, the, on, our, you know, on our logo and, and we say that we're, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. But in your world, regardless of where you're at, you will face, you'll experience evil. Three things on evil, real quick. Evil, number one, if you want to write this down, cannot be restrained by external forces cannot be restrained like you cannot set up a bunch of laws and rules and regulations and expect to control the heart of human beings does that make sense jesus in the, in the previous chapter he says all evil things in fact let me read it real quick it says jesus says mark 7 21 he says he says for it is from within it's from out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. And he, mentioned, uh, he mentions a bunch of them. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, all of that. And so because the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they thought that if we have enough rules, we'll be able to control people. And we'll be able to, you know, make them behave in a certain way. Nobody can make the heart of a human person behave a certain way. God doesn't even do that for you. Like, God doesn't make you believe in him. I cannot make my children believe, okay? And, and Jeremiah, another verse to back it up, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can know it? Like, who can understand it? Like, like it is, it is, it's what we call sin, right? It cannot be restrained by external forces. Evil is always destructive, it's never constructive. How do you know? How do you know if like that person is good for you or they're not good for you? I mean, I wanna I wanna love them, I wanna reach out to them, I want them to be my friends. I, I get along with them, but I just don't know. Like, how do I know they're I'll tell you, very simple, very simple. Do they build you up or do they tear you down? If you have people in your life and all they ever say or all they ever speak to you is it's, uh, it has to do with shame. It has to do like, you know, they're tearing you apart. They're, maybe you feel guilty when you talk to them. Maybe uh, there's always blaming going on. Uh, there's always, you know, and they're, they're making jokes and they're being sarcastic and it's borderline and you don't know, but they're always making you feel less than. Then I'm telling you, that's not from God. Guilt, shame, all of that stuff, not from God. It does not build up, okay? And I, my advice to you is I would say, you know what? Unless you're, you're in a place where you're really strong and you have a really good, strong support in your life with other Christians that love you, and I say Christians, but just because I say Christians doesn't mean anything, right? Because you know Christians that will be the first ones to backstab you. And so I'm talking about people who are, let's, let's use this word, Jesus followers, Okay? If you have a good support group and then you're trying to reach out to this other group, cool, that's fantastic. But if you don't have that, I want to challenge you to be careful. Evil, even though you would not call it, maybe you won't even call them evil. Jesus does, but evil 
is always destructive, never constructive. It can never be restrained by external forces. And the last thing, evil will rob you of your humanity. Evil will rob you, not just your spirituality, but your humanity. The Bible talks about people who are without natural affection. It uses those, those words. There are some people that are without natural affection. And so the other day, kind of an illustration, the other day I was reading about this man who was charged with murder. Um, he had a two-year-old baby who basically got on his nerves and washed him with Drano. Imagine that. I mean, who would do, like Drano, the stuff that you put to clear your pipes. This guy, like literally took a baby, his baby, and in an act of anger, in an act of rage, bathed the baby with Drano. That's what evil will do. It's, just not, it's not just a spiritual thing. It will rob you of your humanity. And, it'll, it, and I know it's graphic, but it'll destroy you from those, those human, um, it'll destroy those human restraints. Those, those, it'll remove all of those natural stop mechanisms, the natural tendencies when, where you're gonna love people and you're gonna, you know, like where you show grace, it'll remove that. And so it's not something that you flirt with. And not something that you kind of, you know, like you flippantly just kind of get close to it. It's a very serious thing. And so number one, just to review, on our own, without God, every human being, we leave a trail, like that machine, little trail, wherever we go. And it's, it's what the Bible calls sin, okay? It's, it's, it's a condition of our hearts. You cannot fight it on your own. You cannot escape it. You are powerless to defeat it. And it's sin, it's that sin that, that levels the playing field for all of us. And the point, the proof is that you have the very people who are the religious people, the spiritual leaders of the church in this day and age, and they're the ones that, that are tearing apart Jesus. And the Bible says there's no difference. There's no difference between Jew or Greek or Gentile. All of us, we've all sinned, we've all fall short of the glory of God. Now let's keep reading. Verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. We read that. Verse 32. And he talked about this openly with his disciples. Pay attention. He's not talking to the crowd just yet. Okay? He told the disciples, don't say anything to the crowd. Don't tell them who I am. All right? But he's still teaching his disciples. He's, he's, he's giving them a, a lesson in all of this. And he's saying, he, so he's open, he's, he's talking to them openly with his disciples Jesus was, did not teach openly to everybody okay because certain people could only receive certain truth and so there were people who were not ready to receive what Christ had to say to them and so in this case he's telling his disciples something that he was not ready to tell the crowd make sense? you following? so he began to talk to them openly and then, and then Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying so, such things. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. And then Jesus turned around, verse 33, and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. Satan. Oof. Boy, you know, like I never say that person's evil or that person, like, you know, Jesus does. He's not sugarcoating it. Jesus, get behind me, Satan, he says. Whoa. Right? They're like a little strong, 
<laughs> just a little much. He said, you are seeking things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. I want you to know when Jesus utters those words, the Son of Man must suffer. We're not just talking about Jesus in all of his humanity. We're also talking about the Son of God in all of his sovereignty. And when God says, if you believe in the Trinity, I'm sending my Son, who uh, three in one, right? And, and I must suffer. I want you to know that we're talking about a sovereign God. Why would a sovereign God have to do anything? That baffles me. Like, why would someone who is above it all, who is sovereign of all, say, I must suffer? And I believe it's because that's, those words are driven by the heart of God. Those words, when Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer and must be rejected and must be killed, I believe that those are words that come straight from the character of who God is, straight from, from that they're driven by the heart of God. When God looks at sin, he gets angry. Now, many of us think that he's angry at us, but he is, he is so mad at the sin, not at the person. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Uh, a while back, my dad sent me a picture of my cousin's baby boy, and we're going to show it to you here in a second. And when I saw that picture, it, it made me so upset. He basically was, you know, like a toddler, just running around, doing his thing, and he hit the handle from this pot that was full of boiling water and it landed on his face. Can we just get rid of that? Because I don't want that. There you go. This is going gonna to remain in your mind for the rest of the week. The reason why I show you this is because that's how God feels about sin. When not about the sinner. That's how he feels about what sin and what evil does to our hearts and to the people that we love. When I saw that, it was unexpected. Just kind of like you. Like It was like I saw it in the thing popped up in my, on my phone and it, it made me like I just I almost got sick to my stomach I got I got a, if I can be honest I got a little bit angry at my cousin I was like how could you do how could you let this happen I mean what were you thinking he's only a child you know all those questions and I literally I just couldn't you know I couldn't I just couldn't resist you know the almost a little bit of anger in me and that's that's how God feels about sin and so when God when when the Bible says the son of man must suffer is because God the heart of God is driven to do something about our condition he's not willing to just kind of just not do anything he's driven to change it he hates sin and so he sends Jesus not to be a good teacher are you kidding me he was one of the best but he doesn't send Jesus so that, oh, you know, like, we, we're, I'm just going to do a few miracles here and there, and people are going to follow me, and they're going to, it's all going to be, you know, happy and good, and no, 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 no. He, he's not coming for that. 
is coming for something so much greater. And so when you look at God's word and you see that the Jews, right, the religious leaders, they had a part in it. Then the Gentiles, they had a part in it. Then the Romans, they're putting him on the cross. And you, you see, like, who's responsible? Who's in charge? Like, who's, who, who, who did this? Like, no, 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 it wasn't any of them. It was God in his sovereignty offering his own life because he hates sin. And when he sees when he sees that, that picture, he says, I don't want my people to be burnt up. I don't want my people that I created and that I love to be wasted. I, want, I don't want their lives. I came to give them life and to give it to them in, in the, the most fullest capacity. And so here's my second observation. I wrote this down the other day. Um, can we put up the verse? That, uh, yeah, the, the point... Your situation, your sin, is not too big for God. You know, I, um, by the way, my nephew, he's doing well. Um, and I'll, I'll show you a picture of him sometime when, uh, when I have a chance. But he's completely healed, and he's doing uh, so much better. Uh, babies recuperate so quickly, you know. Uh, but I was, if I can be vulnerable with you guys, sometime this week, I can't remember what day, I was, um, I was dealing with a little bit of anxiety, and I just want to be vulnerable with you guys. It was, I think it was, I don't know, 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, and I woke up, you know, um, sweating and, you know, heart palpitations, and, you know, I felt like the, 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 the whole, the burden of the world like was on my shoulders. There's some decisions that I'm making, and I'm thinking, man... If I, if I do this and it doesn't go the way I want it to go, it's the fear of the future. Have you ever been there? Like you, it's like the fear of the unknown. And so it literally, I, I woke up 2.30, 3.30 in the morning, shivering, like literally like, like ah, it's too much for me, you know. And I, op- I picked up my phone, opened it up, and I'm praying. And I'm asking God, help me, help me, help me. And um, picked up my phone, opened up my Bible app, and um, I love how God speaks to us, you know, in, in unique ways. But I read this passage, and it's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to it. It's from Isaiah 40. And it, it, I felt like it was exactly what I needed in that moment. It says this. So if you want to write the reference down, Isaiah 40, verse 12, you can read the whole thing. It's fantastic. But I want you to just listen for a moment, okay? I read the words, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. And of course, I, I had taken a, um, a few days off a couple of weeks ago, and we, Lee and I went to Key Largo, and I like to skew a dive, and so had a boat that took us out um, about eight miles out into the ocean. I mean, it's all water, it's beautiful. And um, as I'm reading this, that's what comes to mind, Right? And, and, you know, who has measured the waters, I'm thinking of, of the Atlantic Ocean, in the hollow of his hand. You know, so I'm thinking like, I'm just picturing that, like, you know, and, and it says, and with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. And so I'm thinking like, like all of the galaxies, like God is able to mark them with the breath of his hand. And it says, who, who has held the dust of earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. And it's given me, as I'm reading this, I'm picturing the immensity of our God. 
And I'm picturing like the galaxies and the oceans in his hand. And, and I'm picturing like how great and how big he must be. And I'm reading, who, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? And it, I love how it's building the climax because he's, ask, he's asking one question after the next, right? And I want to know the answers. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? And with whom then will you compare God? And I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, I want to I wanna know the answer. I want to know more. And it says, and, and with whom then will you, you know, to what image will you liken him? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was, was founded? And then I come across this verse, verse 22, and it says this. Your, says he, excuse me, Sits enthroned above the sphere of the earth. And I love, I love the Bible because, you know, Christopher Columbus gets the credit for saying that the earth was round, not flat. You know, in that day and age, they believed the earth was flat, right? But this was written like years, hundreds of years before Christopher Columbus. And I love the fact that the Bible says that God, our, our God, he sits enthroned above the sphere. Some translations say circle. The sphere, the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. I love camping. I, the picture that came to, my, to mind is like God takes all of the galaxies. He takes all of the stars, the planets, all of that. He takes it and he stretches them out like a one-person tent would stretch out his tent. And I thought of the greatness and the, just the immensity of the God that I serve. And in that moment, if I can be honest with you, like all the anxiety went away. In that moment, I read the words in verse 20 there at the end, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Lord, the Holy One, it says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. And this is where that point came from. As I read this passage of scripture, yes, every human being, like we, without God, we leave a trail. We're messed up. We're all screwed up. There's no, if you think, if you come to this church and you think, and you, you make it look like you have it all together, we know better. <laughs> You know, in fact, sometimes, if I can be honest, I don't really like people that are a little too religious, you know, because you ask them how they're doing. You know, I'm blessed. Everything's good. And I'm like, no, no, come on, tell me. Like, do you have any problems? And you're like, no, God is good, you know. I love that. I love that. But there are some people that kind of turn me off a little bit when they're, it's almost like life is too good for them, you know. But every human being, we all, like, we're all, messed up in some way or another without God second point is your situation your sin is not too big for God he put it all on the line for you and that's why a sovereign God must suffer because that he's driven he's driven when God sees the condition of the human heart it's like you and me like trying to prevent that baby from getting that boiling water on his face if you would have been in that situation and you could do you could do something about it you would have jumped in front of the child 
even if you burnt your hands, even if you, you know, if you got hurt a little bit, and if, if you being like that, you know, how much more will God do for us? So he's being rejected. He's being condemned. He's, there, he's facing the death, the cross. But God, and the heart of God is moved, and he's willing to do something about that. And he's, and our sin, and our mess, it's not, he's not intimidated by it. And so your situation, your sin, whatever you want to call it, is not too big for him. Here's what I want to leave you with. And here's where it gets real. Two observations, one call to action. Here's the call to action. So Peter tell, John, uh, uh, Jesus tells Peter, hey, you don't get it. You're looking at things from God's point of view. I want you to look at life from, from a spiritual perspective, not from a human point of view. Verse 34. Then he called out the crowd. Who did he call out? Say it again. Who did he call out? The crowd, okay? So up to this point, he's been talking to his disciples. Don't say anything. Don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. Things change all of a sudden. The crowd has been following him. He's becoming famous. Jesus at this point, he healed so many people. You know, he turned the water into wine. He, you know, there's so many miracles that the people had actually seen, tangible things that they're like, man, we need to get to this guy. You know, like this is gonna be our ruler. This is gonna be our king. This is the one that can, you know, let us off the hook as far as like the oppression of the Romans. And so now he turns to the crowd along with his disciples and he says these words whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me I want you to think of those words for a minute why would Jesus say that whoever wants to be my disciple you've got to deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me this is before Jesus even died right so he's telling him something that hadn't i mean he hadn't died like when we say pick up your cross we all immediately think of jesus right jesus had not died so what's he talking about and why is he talking to the crowd and why would he not mention that he's the messiah because i want the messiah right i don't want to pick up my cross though now if you look at it who's writing this Who's the writer? Who's the author? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you remember? Mark, right? Who is Mark writing to? This is a letter, okay, that was written, an actual letter. Who, when, do you remember who he wrote it to, like his specific audience? It was the Romans. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, they, like the Romans knew all about the cross. It was reserved for the worst of criminals, right? Rapists, murderers, people like you, you didn't, you know, get crucified unless you were like the worst of the worst of the worst of society. And they were very familiar. And you know what they would do? If you were a criminal of that caliber, essentially, you would not just be crucified. No, you would carry your cross all the way to the place where you were going to be executed. And so he tells the crowd the truth. A truth that I want to share with you today. God is not looking for believers. He's not like, oh, what do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Like he's, it's not like he needs more confidence in himself. God is looking for Jesus followers. He's looking for people who will pick up their cross, just like the Romans made those prisoners. They would pick up that cross, and you know what it signified? It signified total submission 
to Rome that if you were a murderer, if you were a rapist, your, the just punishment in their eyes was to, care, to pick up this cross and carry it all the way to the place where you go, were going to be executed. They were putting, the Romans were putting you under their thumb. And they were saying, you're going to be submissive to us one way or the other. And so do you see how you get it now like this is not one of those that like oh praise jesus you know no this is an in your face type of message because jesus looks at the crowd and he doesn't give them the easy answer because he wants them to follow him because not because of the the miracles not because of they were fed not because of all the benefits yes 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 you give your life to christ he will give you strength supernatural strength he will give you peace he can heal your marriage he can heal your kids yeah all of that will happen but that's not the message that he wants to give his followers the message is one about submission to the person of christ and it's not that he needs your approval. He wants you to follow him. And so the reason why these guys changed the world, the reason why they turned the world upside down is because this was the real deal. This is not what we practice in East Texas now, nowadays, right? Where you, you put your $2 in the offering plate, you attend church once uh, a year, and then you, you, know, you can wash your hands and you're good, you're good to go totally different so we're going to wrap it up uh, worship team you guys get in place anyone can believe right anyone can believe it takes grit to follow it takes grit to say you know what I'm going to pick up my cross I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to follow him. Following Christ means it's, there's a radical shift in the center of gravity of your heart. Something happens. All of a sudden, life is not about you. When you understand, like you, you're wondering why your marriage is in trouble, it's because you're making your marriage about yourself. You're wondering why you're stressed out. You wonder why I was dealing with the anxiety and with the pressure and, and I couldn't handle it. I could barely breathe. As I was making all of that about me. And my God is so much bigger than all of that. And your God is so much bigger than yourself. And so this call to pick up our cross is not a one-time thing. A lot of times in Christianity, we've done that. We've said, if you give your life to Christ, you're in good job fire insurance you know the call is daily the call to the child of God is tomorrow morning when you get up and the kids get in your nerves or your spouse says something or this happened or that worker looks that way or you find out those news and you want to give up and you're done with life and you want to reject and you want to get lash out that's when the call that's when you answer the call that's when you say you know what i gotta deny myself i gotta pick up my cross and Jesus did it for me. He picked up the cross. He walked all the way to the place where he was going to be executed. And so I will pick up my cross today. It doesn't feel fun. It doesn't, doesn't sound like it's not a very inspiring message. 
I get it. But that's how they change the world. So as a husband, in my relationship to my wife, I gotta deny myself. I have to take up my cross. I have to follow Jesus. If not, I'll destroy my relationship. And you look at me and yeah, I'm your pastor and all of that, but the truth of the matter is that unless I do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be married for another year because on my own, I'm lost. As a parent, I got to deny myself. I got to pick up my cross. I got to follow Jesus because my kids know me. They don't know the Pastor Alex that's on stage that can preach a message. No, they, they, they know the guy that sometimes yells and sometimes says things that he shouldn't say and sometimes makes mistakes. And so as a pastor, I have to, as a parent, excuse me, every day, Lord, help me. Help me to lead my kids because they know the real me, right? At school, in my time off, at work, in my finances, I got to deny myself. Say no, 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 no. Pick up the cross and follow him. Called to action is not just to believe, but to follow. I'll close with this. True story. 1980, a man from uh, Rwanda, from Africa, uh, is forced to, by his own tribe, to renounce Christ. I've never been put in that position. I don't know how difficult it must be, but this man, basically his own tribe, they said, you either renounce Christ, you either reject him, or you face certain death. And um, he wrote a few words. He ended up dying. He was killed. Um, The previous night, he wrote a few words. Actually, it's a commitment. It's called the commitment of the fellowship of the unashamed. And I want to read them to you. Um, I, he says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. By the way, if you're getting baptized, any of you guys getting baptized? November? All of you guys getting baptized? Woohoo! Yeah! Getting baptized? It's awesome. That's cool. I, I just lost everything, you know. Forget the message, man. Love, life change, you know. Those of you who are getting baptized, what you're saying, you're saying, you know what? It's not about me. I'm a Jesus fan. I'm going to put on the Jesus jersey, and I'm not going to be ashamed. Because it's not, it's not easy. Like, if you, if, you have a, if you have a past, I'll hold you down a little bit longer. Some of you guys, we're going to be down for a few minutes. I hope you're practicing. Just joking. <laughs> I've never drowned anybody yet. <laughs> Listen to these words. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast I've stepped over the line of faith, of the line. <laughs> the decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with load living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams. 
or dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a disciple of Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing My colors will be clear. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. I I love that it inspires me because I want to have that kind of convictions in my life. I want to be that strong. I want to be unmovable. I want to be steady in my relationship. Untouchable. So simple question between you and the Lord. I'm not playing Holy Spirit today. It's you and God. In what areas of your life do you need to pick up your cross? In what areas of your life do you need to deny yourself? Could it be your marriage? Your finances? Could it be that God's asking you to forgive someone? Is it a relationship? Is it is it a friendship? See, every human being, the problem is not them. The problem is they don't have God. And you you've been mad at them, you've been upset at them, you you you're holding, you know, you have this. This, this resentment in your heart it's not them they just need God and God will do anything for them he died for them what will you do what will you do because they're not just hurting you they're hurting themselves too and so your job and my job is to pick up our cross and love them your job and my job is to be kind. Not just to believe. Are you kidding me? Anybody can believe. Not anybody can follow. God, help us to have conviction. Help us, God, to be strong, not by the things we say, but by the things that we do. Help us to walk steady. Help us to be like that man who faced death but was willing to put it all on the line. Help us to be like our Savior God who picked up his cross and carried it all the way to the place of execution. God, if that's what it takes, may we put it all on the line. God, we're tired of lukewarm Christians. 
we're sick and tired of people will smile and they'll behave a certain way and they'll turn around and they live their lives in a totally different way. So God, help us to be authentic. Help us to be Jesus' followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.